is the number one commodity in the world that you can't get back once it's gone. Time. So I will keep this brief. I'm Mutita Banmu, a time efficiency expert and a business operations strategist, who is as known as the Time Queen. Welcome to my Get Unstuck Radio. Running a business can be very overwhelming at times, especially in the first few years when you are required to wear the hats and do other things. You started your company because you had a vision that almost every business owner has when they begin. You wanted freedom, true freedom. So you are in the right place to help you build and grow your business that support your lifestyle, not the other way around. Without further ado, let's get unstuck. Hi, Get Unstuck Nation. Today, we will be get unstuck on the something that we as a professional business owner, sometimes we not really taking care of. We're talking about relationship, intimacy, and something that me personally not really be successful at. So please welcome my dearest friends here, Dr. Alexandra Stockwell, and she is intimate marriage expert. And yeah, I mean, I'm excited to learn more about how successful couples really build Because you know why not open yourself to more successful relationship in the future, and to all my audience out there and all of my friends who I mean in a business right now in this time difficulties living the COVID time and still building the life again. I know power couples really helps you to thrive and succeed ever after. So please welcome Dr. Alexandra with me here today to get unstuck with you. Hi, Alexandra. I'm excited to be with you today. Thank you so much for joining. I'm. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. So, before we get into the deep conversation, I would love to know how you started your entrepreneurial journey, though. Yeah, you know, I became an entrepreneur before realizing it. I am someone I studied mathematics and philosophy in college, and then I decided to go to medical school and became a doctor and did my training. And I really was very motivated because. I I was interested in people and interested in helping people, in understanding things. And anyway, there's a whole story that I won't get into right now. But I decided to take a sabbatical from medicine. I enjoyed practicing medicine in many ways, but I took a sabbatical. And during that time, I explored new hobbies, ways of really having fun. I took a painting class. I spent time sitting by the river, and I just got in touch with parts of myself that. Had just been put up on the shelf, unused, while I was working hard to become a physician. And during this time, I also was already married. I've been married for 26 years. We have four children. At this time, we had three. And I wanted to put attention onto my own sensuality and sexuality. I had such a beautiful relationship in terms of good communication, collaboration, same values, and I was ready to turn up the heat when it came to intimacy. And the bedroom, and I really didn't know how. So I ended up doing this very in-depth training on sensuality and sexuality, which was for lay people, and it also doubled as a coach training. Although at the time I didn't even know what a coach was, that wasn't why I was there. But I was curious, and so I went to the teaching lab and realized, oh, I love this. This is what I want to do. But for me, helping people with their relationships was an extension of what drew me into medicine. 
medicine. It's really helping people with one kind of problems to helping them with another. But either way, we're talking about healing and transformation and very meaningful impact and helping people. So that really was my motivation. And I just started coaching. I had, I think my first few clients, I asked if I could coach them in order to get practice and I didn't charge. And then I remember the woman who she said, you're really good. I want to pay you. So then I started charging because she paid wow. me. And I was coaching for three years before really ever thinking about being an entrepreneur, being a business person. It just wasn't in my mind. My only goal in that regard was to be able to earn enough money to pay for my daughter's college tuition, which I did. But it wasn't because I was strategic or getting unstuck or I didn't have business mentors. I just was really focused on coaching well and becoming ever more masterful. Every couple, every individual that I coached, I was helping them. And I also was choosing how I was going to learn from them because I just wanted to be more effective, deeper, more efficient. I'm actually a very efficient coach when it, couples don't have to work with me for very long in order to have a very significant impact. But anyway, I'd been doing this for over three years and I went, I thought, you know, I should know a little bit about how to set up a coaching business. And so I went to this seminar and the presenter talked about, do you treat your business like a business or do you treat it like a hobby? And I looked at the list as a hobby. It's you're not focused on making money and you just want to anyway. And I realized, oh my goodness, I'm treating it as a hobby. And I had to think about, well, was that okay with me? Or did I actually want to develop a business? And so what I'm really wanting to say is that I was not looking to become an entrepreneur. I didn't entirely understand what that meant in terms of a mindset, in terms of a, an attitude. I just really wanted to become ever more skillful and masterful in serving my clients. And when I started really thinking about it, I realized, oh, I really have to learn how to run a business. I have to take on the identity of an entrepreneur in order to help more people, in order to learn how to have my services be understood by people before they become my clients. So I am definitely an entrepreneur now. That was uh, seven years ago, but it's not, I'm not someone who wanted to be an entrepreneur and then looked for what I could do. It's that my calling was to really help people with their relationships and intimacy and all the complicated, juicy terrain. And in order to continue to serve in that way, I have become a good entrepreneur. Has it changed when you just started? until now, your goal since you started? Yes, because my goals really were to become excellent, mm -hmm. to become skillful, excellent, to be a better listener, to be more efficient, to be more clear. Like I used to, as a coach, I would always be helping my clients with what they needed. But I basically, after finishing my coach training, gave myself my own curriculum. So for example, for a while, I was very focused on being able to end a session on time because there's a real art to being able to do that, to know when to bring something up. You don't want to end early because then clients feel like they didn't get their money's worth, but you don't want to end late because it's not good for the clients or for me. So I learned how to do that. Now I often go over and it's a way I can be generous, but it's not because I don't have control of the session. Another thing is that I learned to interrupt well, because when you're a coach, 
you need to be able to interrupt because people sometimes will just talk because they're awkward or nervous and they're just filling the space and they don't need to do that in a coaching session. And so it's important for me to be able to very respectfully interrupt in a way that they don't feel cut off, but they feel that I am actually serving their bigger goal. So I'm just sharing that there are many different things that I was working on. And those were my goals was to become more effective, more successful in serving couples. And now I have those skills. I'm always learning and fascinated, but that's not really where my biggest learning curve is. My biggest learning curve is with marketing and messaging on my website, make it clear to people, either I'm the right coach for them or I'm the wrong coach for them. They need to know it either way. And so, yes, my goals, honestly, goal, my mission is to change the cultural narrative around long-term relationships so that instead of people thinking that passion just dies with the years, people can learn how much deliciousness, how much growth, how much improving intimacy is available through when you learn how to do that in your life. Oh, talking about that. Okay. Let me think. When we are getting into a committed relationship, right? Like you mentioned, a long-term relationship. What does it really involve to be committed to someone? Let's start it from there. What an interesting question. As I was saying before we started recording, I've been, I stopped counting, but I've been interviewed over 300 times for podcasts and no one has ever asked me that question. And I think it's a very nuanced question. It's actually the kind of question that, you know, you're not in a relationship. And so it's a beautiful question for you to be considering. So first of all, I think that most people think of being in a committed relationship as somewhat binary. Either you're committed or you're not committed or you're confused. Mm. And if this were math, maybe that would be true. It's either yes or no or maybe, but that's not the nature of commitment. I think of commitment as a journey. It's partly a state of mind, but it's really a journey. And ultimately to be in a committed relationship, relationship with someone else, you have to be committed to yourself and how you're going to show up and how you're going to prioritize or not prioritize the relationship. And so I think when we talk about committed relationships, it sounds like it's a commitment to another person and it can definitely feel that way. But the only way in which that's actually meaningful is if we have a real commitment to ourselves about who, who I am, who I'm going to be in this relationship, what are my standards, what are my boundaries, and what are my non-negotiables? Because the people who commit and don't treat it like a journey, mm -hmm. they just treat it as a one-time choice. Like if you get married, then you're committed for life. And the way in which that's true, but that does not make for the most vibrant, growth-oriented, mm -hmm. evolving relationship. That feels more like a contract. Ah, makes sense. I'm thinking along. Okay, wait. Um... Yeah, what are you thinking okay yeah when you say a contract that's a wow factors in my head like okay take the box like yes am i gonna enter into this or not like yes or no like a real and that's thing. fine that's fine but it doesn't actually do anything to assure you the quality of the relationship mm, but it does set a boundaries that's the scary part that scares that's caused some what scares you about it yes the thing I have issue with I somehow attract men who are unemotionally available <laughs> 
and I always experience these issues that I am more flexible than my previous partner because I work online and I often easier to travel. I can work anywhere. Like my life is so easy to live with actually. Like I can just like sit down and work anywhere. I have my team support me. Like I build my life allowed the way I wanted to live. But usually my partner would be the opposite of me. Like have a more structural work, nine to five. You know, so it's totally different. Okay, there's something you're saying which is really magnificent. And so if you want to redirect the conversation, I trust you to have all the skill to do so, either overtly or indirectly. But in the meantime, I'll pursue this question. So you were talking about attract. Emotionally unavailable men, yeah. and then you started talking about employees, nine to five jobs, as though that was a description of them being emotionally unavailable. But those are two very different things. I know, but that is like a characteristic plus the emotion status that I got attached together with my personal experience. Just okay. Well, let me just so say, offense. yeah. <laughs> I don't have any statistics for you, but the number of men and women who are entrepreneurs who are emotionally unavailable is very high as well. Okay. So <laughs> I would just like, you know, you could experiment, but if you date an entrepreneur, they may well still be emotionally unavailable. And if you talk to other people, in fact, I'm married to a man that I would not describe as emotionally unavailable. He had those tendencies, but we really grown together and I wouldn't describe him that way now. And he is definitely an employee. He doesn't work nine to five because he's a physician. He works a lot longer than that, but he is an employee and he is emotionally available. So you could decouple that association. In fact, well, I'm not going to generalize except to say that entrepreneurs tend to have the kind of commitment you and I are talking about, not quite that strong, but they tend to have a real commitment to their work. Mm. Even if one business fails or in, you know, for if someone's really successful, they sell it and then they start another business. It's not necessarily a commitment to a particular business, but entrepreneurs tend to be committed to whatever work they're doing at any given time. And so whether they're emotionally unavailable, they're just plain unavailable often. <laughs> I don't know whether it's me or him, or maybe I just assume, right? That's also another possibility. Okay, well, do you want to peel back the layer with that? Pursue that a little bit? Yeah, that's fine by me. Yeah, that, that could be. All right, yeah, well, that could be. Another. I should just make sure that anyone listening knows that you and I are just meeting one another. So I really, yeah. other than your podcast and that you're a very professional, responsive person when it comes to scheduling things by email, I don't really know about your life. I don't actually actually know how old you are. I just, I don't know if you have siblings. I just don't know about your life. So I'm just going <laughs> to proceed and, you know, it may be a dead end or it may not be. So the first question that I would like to ask okay. <laughs> is if you could tell me a little bit about the personalities of your parents. Both are military officers. High what rank. kind of officer? Military officers, high rank. Both are military officers. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> so would it be right to guess that they're not so emotionally available? I'm not so sure, but they are not available physically. <laughs> 
they're not physically available. Yeah, that's for sure. But emotionally, I don't know the the normalness of other people. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's think about your father first. Okay. When you see him, if you haven't seen him for a while, and you see him, does he tell you what is happening in his soul? Does he tell you what his challenges are? What his triumphs are? Do you? Does he tell stories that have emotional content, or does he stick more to the facts? Both. Okay. And what about your mother? Both. If it's that case, both. Okay. Like cash out. Yeah. And when, okay, well, that's beautiful. And when, if you think of your prior partner, understanding that the person was emotionally unavailable, what was appealing? What did you enjoy? Enjoying. They do tell me, but I have to ask. That's the thing. Oh, so they weren't actually emotionally unavailable. They just didn't initiate the yeah. emotional communication. I really miss, yeah, I used the wrong word. Yes, correct. Yeah, miss. Okay, because emotionally unavailable is a real thing. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, they do come and, again, but I have to like dig deep until I get the answer, which I don't. Okay, like and when I'm doing that, yeah. Why do you not like doing that? I feel feisty when I do that. Like, why you don't tell me what do you feel like? I used to be the person that really needs the answer. And I don't like the feeling of myself feeling that way of needing the answer. I feel needy when I need to know the answer. After I exit the relationship, I feel released of knowing that. Okay, well, that's very interesting. Why did you need to know the answer? Like, what were you telling yourself if you didn't know? What did that mean? I think it's about the contract, you know, that you mentioned earlier. It's a yes or no. It's a boundary that is like it's gonna still be in or out or like that thing Mm. Okay, so I'm gonna say you weren't very into the foreplay. Depends. You weren't. I don't. I'm not actually talking about sex right now. I'm talking oh, okay. about. I'm <laughs> talking about it as an analogy. I mean oh, okay. that the opportunity to get to know one another and oh, you play okay. and you know have things be a little lighter. Now I'm feeling more of the military influence. Either he's a yes or he's a no. I like, am kind on that. Person, yes, I agree. I'm not okay. Well, this is so interesting. It's not emotionally unavailable. It's really that you want clarity. You don't want time, which some people just love, where you're getting to know one another and you don't know where it's going. And maybe it'll go this way, and maybe it'll go that way. This could be your last date. Maybe this is the person you're gonna be with forever. Like you don't like the unknown. You don't like the uncertainty. Yeah, I don't have time. Okay, well, here's the thing. <laughs> Thing. <laughs> I know. If you're not gonna do an arranged marriage, then you know, then maybe you could work with a matchmaker. But in the normal course of things, it would be very—it's not never, but it's very unusual that two people meet and instantly know right away that there are no questions. That's what has been happened, wish annoyingly. But yeah, I know what you mean. But it's kind of weird, but <laughs> true. You mean that you have known right away? Yeah, like it's a really. But like, the other person right, hasn't. How can I say that? Like my previous relationship, it should be like a spark, like a right spark, and then we had a long relationship, like a couple years, but then it wasn't worked out, obviously. So yeah, but it usually be like that. 
not taking so long to get started. Okay, well, you know, if you were my client and this was enough of an issue that you wanted coaching on it, what I would do is encourage you to date a lot, to have a lot of first dates, first, second, third dates. Yeah, I have to. To no get used to, what did you say? I have no experience in that, like not much, like no. Yeah, well. Don't do dating. Like, that's not a reason out. not to <laughs> get experience because then you get to see not, it's not about the other person. It's that if you're dating and living with that uncertainty, then you see what arises in you. You see, do you feel, for example, insecure if you don't know if the other person is committed? Do you feel like you can't be authentic because you need to appear a certain way? Can you be completely yourself in the uncertainty? Because if you can, then that's the end of that experiment. You know, the funny thing is that I could freely meet stranger as in a potential client like that, but not as in dating. Well, do you have any interest in developing that skill? No. Like, okay, I well then there's no point in having this conversation. <laughs> I know it's so strange, but I can just work every single day with stranger, but not Romantic okay, well, I don't have any judgment about it, but I want to emphasize two things. So One is that if you don't actually have the desire for a different experience, then there's no point in talking about it. Mm -hmm. Because without a desire to experience something new, why would anything change? I mean, it could happen to change, but you're not as a result of your attention and intention going to change it if you don't actually desire a new experience. And the second thing I want to say is that having a fantastic relationship is a learnable skill. Most people, whether they're single, dating, married for a short time, married for a long time, most people don't actually know how to have a really fantastic relationship. It can seem in the early years that that's true, but it's just rare that people feel really confident about how to have a wonderful relationship where both people are passionate and fulfilled and neither one of them is compromising for the other one to feel more comfortable. So yeah, this is very, very important because really the most common relationship advice, at least in the Western world, is that if you want to be happy, if you want to have a good marriage, you have to learn to compromise. And that is just completely wrong. If you want a bland, conflict-free companionship, then compromise is wonderful. But if you want long-lasting passion and erotic evolution and real emotional intimacy and a kind of deepening of the connection, compromise will never give you that. And so actually the name of my book is Uncompromising Intimacy. And I talk about how to have uncompromising intimacy, but I need to really say that when I use the word uncompromising, I don't mean that you always get your own way or that you somehow become a bully and get everything you want. That's not at all what I mean. What I mean is that when you compromise in marriage or in a committed relationship, you're basically withholding your own desires, your needs, 
your feelings, whatever it is, you're withholding some part of yourself so that your partner is comfortable. That's what compromise is. And so when I'm talking about uncompromising intimacy, I'm talking about learning how to bring all of who you are to the relationship and invite your partner to do the same. And when you can be fully self-expressed and your partner can be fully self-expressed or at least be working towards that, then there's a kind of intimacy and passion which is far from bland and you can come up with creative solutions are compromising. For example, this comes up with big decisions, small decisions. The example I enjoy using is that if a husband and children really love Italian food and let's say the wife, she's yearning for Thai food and she doesn't say so because her husband doesn't like Thai food and they always go to Italian and it's simpler because the rest of the family is going to find something they enjoy. And so it's been years and whenever they go out to eat, they just go for Italian. That is compromise where her husband doesn't even know that she would like to get Thai food. But if she then says, you know, honey, I really would love to have Thai food. I'm okay going to Italian food tonight, but I just want you to know I really would love Thai food. It might be like that. It could be that the rest of the family eats at home and then they go to the Thai restaurant where she can have her dinner and they just have some miso soup or something. Like there's a way to make it work or get takeout from both places and eat in a park. There are actually many solutions. But if she never actually says what she wants, there's no way to come to a new creative solution. I have one question though. This is also something that I experienced myself. I developed like some anxiety and adjustment disorder between the relationship and me myself has changed like I experienced some grieving some loss of like someone close to me and I change during the relationship which affect the relationship itself so yes how normally we should cope with this and my previous partner also experienced the same thing with his own parents like that that also another story but yeah, it's been dramatic, but how can we... Okay, well, if you're in yeah, I don't know how to committed say that, but... relationship, then you want the relationship to be set up so that each person has room for their own growth and their own experiences and that it doesn't need to create disconnection. Now, if you're going through something, then maybe it's time to share it and maybe it's not, but you want to be able to share it at least eventually when you're ready to talk about it. You don't want to have to have something like that be completely compartmentalized and something you just never bring into the relationship. It doesn't mean, for example, when your previous partner's parent was sick that you need to be as sad as the previous partner. No, like it's not actually your loss, but you do want to have room for the other person to bring some of their feelings. They might not want to, that's fine, but they shouldn't have to avoid bringing the feelings because it's not safe to do it in the relationship or because be uncomfortable. If your partner is experiencing deep loss and grief, that's very uncomfortable to be around, but in an uncompromising intimacy, the alternative of avoiding that discomfort, that just creates disconnection. And even if you're uncomfortable, being present, allowing it to be a part of the relationship ultimately makes for more closeness because when there's vulnerability and 
in safety with authenticity, then more happens, maybe not in that very moment, but ultimately. But eventually, yeah, okay, so that makes sense, that makes sense. I think it's about communication, like what it's lines after, even though you try your best, but what is another party understand as well. That is something that the receiver understand your message or not. That's what you are trying to do. Yes, and if the receiver doesn't understand your message, it's up to both of you to communicate more successfully. So there are a few ways to do that. I mean, the simple thing to say is, he's just not interested, or if he cared, he'd understand. That is not true. But one way that's very helpful when you share something and it doesn't seem like it was understood or you're not sure is to ask the other person to share what they understood. And then there are three different things that can happen. When the other person shares, it will reveal to you where you need to be more clear. And it doesn't mean, I mean, maybe the other person wasn't paying attention, but maybe they were and you just need to express it more clearly. But either way, if they speak and there's something that wasn't communicated well, then it shows you what you need to express again. It may be that the other person says what you've what they've understood and you feel heard and seen more than before because hearing the other person say it helps you and then the other thing which also happens is maybe the other person understands but when they share what they've heard you realize that you were incomplete with your communication or maybe you realize oh that is what i said but actually what i mean is something else so rather than just having that feeling of, oh, I'm understood or, oh, I'm not understood. It's really helpful to just say, can you tell me what you heard so that I know whether or not I've communicated well? And I want to pay attention to that phrasing. I'm not saying, tell me what you heard so I know if you were paying attention. I'm not saying, tell me what you heard so I know if you were listening well. I'm saying, tell me what you've understood or tell me what you've heard so I know whether I've communicated well. That is a way to take responsibility rather than to blame. And it is going to make it much more likely that the conversation is successful. On the other hand, I'm the one listening. I might say, can I tell you what I've understood? And then you let me know if I missed anything. It doesn't matter which side you're on in the conversation. It matters that you take ownership. And in doing that, you convey that you actually are motivated to understand or communicate well. 100%. Wow. I believe anyone who's still listening until now would be thinking, recap to how you are communicating to your partner or to your family or any type of relationship that you are in right now like considering how important this is so how can the audience follow your work Alexandra where can they be your fans <laughs> okay that's a nice question so come to my website alexandrastockwell.com and you'll find everything there the first chapter of my book Uncompromising Intimacy you can just sign up and download the first chapter where I talk about the different kinds of relationships and how to create uncompromising intimacy. I have a podcast, the Intimate Marriage Podcast, and I have a lot of different things going on and I'm on social media. I'm not actually on Facebook because my account was permanently closed down, but I'm on Instagram and YouTube and you can find me in all the different places. I send a lot of tips and stories and different inspiration on email, but really the place to find all of that is at my website, Alexandra Stockwell. Com. Thank you so much for sharing this awesomeness and also coached me through this uncomfortable story, but 
appreciate you so much, Alexandra. So anyone um, who's still listening to now, check it out and trust me, subscribe and you will learn more how to communicate better and don't compromise in your relationship because you can be you and be happy with your life. Everyone, welcome to Get Unstuck Nation. Uh, and this is Get Unstuck Radio. And thank you again, Alexandra, for joining Get Unstuck Radio today. Have a good one. Thank you so much. I hope this episode inspires you to get unstuck wherever you are in your journey so that you can have your business that support your lifestyle. Get a show note at helpyougetunstuck.com today. Start implementing what you have learned. The results of your consistent effort and improvement are worth it because you deserve the freedom to enjoy your life. Speak to you next time and don't forget to get unstuck.